0: <clears throat> At that very time he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent, and didst revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for it is well. it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And turning to the the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see them, or see the things which you see, and they did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them.
1: Okay, so Jesus is praising God, hiding the things from the wise and intelligent, and revealing them to the infants. The idea being that it's not the intellectual people that see it. It's the childlike, trusting, you know, receptive, dependent people who are willing to humble themselves and listen to the Lord. Those are the people that really God reveals himself to. And all of that's not an accident. It's a matter of God's plan, what was well pleasing in his sight. And then he says in 22 that he is the only one that had the qualifications to reveal the that nobody knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son and anybody the Son wants to reveal it to. So he's got like an unparalleled relationship with his Father. And they were the only ones who could really reveal the other one. They're the only ones who really understood each other. And so you can't really understand the Father without listening to the Son. I mean, that's why God sent Jesus, is to reveal himself to man in a greater and fuller way you think about you know what a contrast what Jesus says is with other founders of great religions has there ever been another
2: great religious leader
1: who has claimed to have the on, be the only person on the earth that has the ability to really reveal God, however they conceive of God to man? So Jesus is making a very uh, you know bold claim. Of course, he had the credentials to, to show it. And then, talking about the privilege of having the Father revealed to you, he said, blessed are your eyes and ears for what you see and hear, because even the kings and the prophets didn't have that. You know, The privilege of the disciple of Christ... Is so much greater than the privilege of anybody who's come before that, before Jesus, because they get to know God in a much greater way because of how Jesus has revealed God. So, you know, you might think, Boy, I wish I could have been with Moses or with David or with whoever. But really the privilege we have and the, the greater knowledge and and you know perception of God that we have through Jesus. Gives us a wonderful edge on anybody who's lived before them. Thoughts and comments.
0: So is that universal? Is he just talking to the disciples or the apostles and the disciples, or is he referring to everything
1: or everyone? I think he's referring to everyone from them on because we are the beneficiaries of what they've revealed about Jesus' revelation of God. We know Jesus' teaching. We know his character. You know, we didn't see him, but we have recorded for us all about Jesus that reveals God to us in a way that nobody before Jesus could have ever known. So I think he's really saying all of us. Is that kind of like other places that talk about the mystery being he, re- revealed? Sure, absolutely. So you've got just a way greater insight and manifestation of God's plans and will and revelation now than you ever have. It. Yeah. Other thoughts? Alright, well that leads us to this question, 25 to 29.
0: And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher,
2: what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the
1: law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All right, so there's a lawyer who's kind of putting Jesus on the spot with the question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, and, I mean, that's that's kind of a weighty question. You can see that as being kind of like, wow. You know, you're going for the big one to begin with. How does Jesus respond? Yeah, I have a question. Which is a typical Jesus answer. Why did Jesus do that so often?
2: (laughs) A lot of times to help better point out the reason for them asking, Mm -hmm. you can kind of see it in the way they answer (laughs) his questions, what their true motive was for asking So
1: sometimes it kind of exposes them. Even when it doesn't, is there a good reason to answer a question with a question?
3: Is it like they tell you, you learn it best if you have to find
1: the answer yourself? I think so. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) what's the goal of teaching? The person to
0: learn. Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, the goal of teaching is not to teach. The goal of Mm -hmm. teaching is for the person to learn. And and to get it learned, asking questions and helping the person come to the understanding properly often Mm -hmm. is much more effective but he doesn't just ask a question. What does he ask a question about? What's
3: written in the law.
1: What's written in the law. So he's pointing him to the source of the proper answer. How would we know how to inherit eternal life? You go to God's message, God's will, God's, God's word. So he's directing him to the right source and making him analyze an answer. So he is a lawyer, which means not that he was, you know, like we think of a lawyer, but he was, like, knowledgeable about the law of God, you know, <clears throat> so he was an expert. We would say he was, a like, a rabbi or something like that. And so he's got an answer. What does he think the law says about how to inherit eternal life? What do you need to do? Love the Lord
3: and your neighbor.
1: Yes. And love your love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So with all your emotions and with all your vitality and with all your energy and with all your understanding. Or you can come up with whatever list you want to for that, but that makes you really stop and think. I mean, everything you've got to love the Lord and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he thought you needed to do to inherit eternal life. What was Jesus' opinion about his answer? (laughs) Yes, that was right on. You know, that's exactly right. So the guy already knew the answer to the question before he asked Jesus. (laughs) As it turns out, you know. Uh, But, you know, coming up with the right answer to that question is only part of the battle. I mean, is it enough just to know what you need to do? You know, I might... Does does anybody ever figure out in a uh, school classroom what you have to do to get an A? Sometimes the teacher will tell you. I, I, You know, I taught for a couple of years a Bible class in actually a school that they got a credit for. And I told them the first day, here's what you have to do to get an A.
2: <clears throat>
1: now, they knew it. Did they all get A's? <laughs> and uh-huh.
2: Nope.
1: It's a good part of them did. But the rest of them didn't care or didn't choose to do what they knew. So it's a matter of do this and you will live. You know, the lawyer may have preferred discussing it, but Jesus said, Practice what you preach. You know, you know what it says, and I'll apply to it. <coughs> and he wishing to justify himself said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I'm not sure what that means, wishing to justify <coughs> himself. <coughs> Is he trying to justify having asked the question that he knew the answer to?
2: <laughs>
1: you know, kind of trying to save face because it kind of made him look stupid for asking once Jesus said, yeah, you're right, you knew already. <laughs> you know, so maybe he's trying to say, well, it's not that simple, so who is my neighbor? <laughs> That's how or, always it. or is he trying to justify himself for not having done it? You know, kind of like an, okay, so, so who's my neighbor? Who is it that I have to love? Where do I get to stop on this thing? <laughs> So maybe trying to justify the fact that he hasn't been as uh, neighborly to everyone as he should. I think that's another way to read it. I don't have a preference. I think either one <laughs> um, But But so he said two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus tells a story that really illustrates who's your neighbor and talks about how to love your neighbor. And then there's a story about an event with Jesus that really shows what it means to love God. So I think you have in this passage: you should love God and love your neighbor. Then Jesus shows you, tells you what you have to do to love your neighbor, and shows what it means to love God. And so I think this this whole section to the end of the chapter kind of fits together. Thoughts and comments through twenty nine.
3: Do you think this is the same as the, the time in Mark twelve where somebody asked him? I wondered if, like, no, he had heard Jesus say this before. And so, like, he knew the answer because he'd heard Jesus say that at a different I time. I
1: think mm-hmm. in Mark 12 it was later. Okay. But that's it's that's entirely fine. possible Jesus taught this in another <clears throat> right. Times. I mean, Jesus would teach a lot of <clears> things. <throat> so I don't know if it's possible that he'd heard Jesus. I just think it's impressive
3: just... that he would have come up with that mm-hmm. himself. If he's just using this to test Jesus, and I
1: don't know. That's, uh, I could see that, yeah.
3: I feel like this guy was a better question asker than some of the other ones. Like,
1: it's a good question.
3: Well, yeah, and you knew the answer. And it's not all bad to ask the follow-up question either. Right. I like this guy more than us.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. But, you know, I, I don't necessarily like the end of the story with him. So reserve your judgment about him until mm-hmm. we get to the end.
3: <laughs> okay. Was he not the guy that Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God?
1: I don't think so. Okay. Because, I mean, that was in Mark 12. Oh, so that was also
2: Mark 12. (laughs) Which
1: was, the you know, kind of the... I think, like, the last two or three days of Jesus' life. But, you know, on a lot of these things, trying to be sure about the timing is... I mean, they're not in chronological order. So, who knows? But it's also not surprising that Jesus touches similar themes at at different times. And even gets asked similar questions. I mean, I do. I mean, there are a few... Unique questions I get,
2: mm.
1: but mostly I get questions that I've answered over and over again. <laughs> you know, because you do. I mean, we all have the same questions. So you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure you know I'm going to get asked this and this and this. You know, you know, every month or so.
3: You know, we can try harder to be unique.
1: Well, you know, some of you are kind of unique. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Don't look at
2: me.
1: <laughs> some of you are more unique than others. All right, so 30 to 37.
3: <laughs> Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levi also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and banished up his wounds pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same.
1: This is a really rich passage. There's a lot to think about in this. Here, Jesus tells this story. I assume this is a parable but about a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. There was a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was downhill. Jericho was down by the Jordan River. Jerusalem was, uh, I don't know, what, 2,500 feet above sea level, something like that, I think. And from what I have read, the Jerusalem-Jericho road was pretty rugged, pretty winding, pretty steep. And pockmarked with, marked with uh, caves that offered a place for, you know, people wanted to hide out. They had a place to do it. So there were apparently quite a few assaults on this road. I mean, I, that's that's what most people, at least, uh, have deduced. And so this might be kind of a, you know, kind of like an occurrence you could imagine <laughs> it happening, you know. And so. There's this guy that went along and and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away and left him half dead. Now, from that account, what do you know about the man who was attacked? Not very much. We really don't. Do you know whether he was a good guy or a bad guy? Do you know whether he was an important guy or a trivial guy? Do you know what race he had? I, wait, I was a Jew, but he doesn't even really say that. Do you know whether he deserves this? You know, was he getting beat up because he messed around with somebody's wife? For you know, was he just strictly robbed? I mean, there's a lot that you know we're not sure about. And it says he fell among robbers, so apparently they at least had that motive. When the when the men come along and see him, they don't even know that much. You don't really know what happened to him. I mean, you know, obviously he's been assaulted, but for what reason, we're not sure. Um, so, the love of neighbor responds to the need, not to the nature of the person. And what about those thieves? What do you know about them? They were mean. They were mean, they were. They used the man and threw him out. Kind of selfish. The priest and the Levite came along. You know, you would expect the priest and the Levite... To be very, uh, you know, yeah. loving and caring and all that kind of stuff, right? You know. So, what did the mm-hmm. priest and Levi do? That's on the other side. Why? <clears throat> that's it. Isn't that sad? They they just kind of. I'm assuming they kind of pretended they never saw him. You know, that's kind of what I'm envisioning. Oh, uh, you know, and they they didn't. You know, they kind of steered clear of him. Um, what what they were saying to themselves as they uh, avoided this man?
0: Probably looking around to make sure nobody
1: saw them avoiding.
0: The man. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> An important synagogue
1: service to get to. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know we've got we've got major duties, and you know I'm sure they had reasons why they felt like it was inappropriate for them to get involved. Don't probably, we always? Probably had laws even that they could <laughs> <I> mean, but, <laughs> if he died on them, then they'd become unclean <laughs> and all right. that. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, but then a Samaritan. Now, when he says "but a Samaritan," what would everybody assume? Now comes the...
2: gentile.
1: Yes. And he'd be the mm-hmm. villain. The bad guy. Again. He's the bad guy. Everybody knows he'd be the bad guy. He's a Samaritan. Well, what a shock. Yes. <laughs> He's the guy who actually stops and helps this fellow. Now, Jesus is telling this story. I'm going to come back to this point a little later, but we're going to make it now to begin with. Jesus tells the story like he wants to. It's a parable. So this is not an actual event. It's, it's what could be an actual event. But he's kind of just designing this as his own illustration. So he could have made the Samaritan be, you know, anybody he wanted him to be. He could have been a priest or a Levite or, you know, whatever. He made the hero a Samaritan. Did you realize how unlikely that would have seemed to be in the hearing of any Jewish listener? You know, what if it was like me telling a story about this Islamic fundamentalist helping a Christian that was injured in a terrorist attack? You know, that's kind of the idea. You know, a Samaritan, you would have assumed he was the one who beat him up. You know, and in fact, he was kind of a brave man. For a Samaritan to turn up with a badly wounded Jew thrown over his donkey would be to invite <coughs> a dangerous misunderstanding. You know. A lot of people would assume he's the one who waylaid him, you know, because he's a Samaritan. But what does he do? He felt compassion for him. Saw him, felt compassion for him, came to him, and look at all he did. What all did he use of his his own resources to take care of this guy? <coughs> Olive oil. his olive oil his wine
3: his, wine. <clears throat> his bandages
1: his, bandages.
3: his, bandages.
1: his don- donkey his, donkey.
3: <laughs> his
1: money <laughs> and even a blank check he made an open ended monetary arrangement with the innkeeper that he'd pay anything else that it cost to get <clears throat> him fixed up uh, that's pretty amazing this, is, this guy's good Now Jesus comes to the turns back to the lawyer and says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers? You tell me, he wants to know who's my neighbor. You tell me who was a neighbor to him. Now, what would you expect him to answer?
2: The Samaritan.
1: The Samaritan. He doesn't answer that way. (laughs) What does he say?
2: the one who showed him mercy.
1: Yeah. He can't say the Samaritan. You know, he avoids that natural way to answer the question. But what does that show, compassion and love, make you a neighbor? You know, who needs help is your neighbor. The neighbor's not a concept to be debated or defined. A neighbor's a person in a ditch who needs your help. Whoever that person is, that's the neighbor. So think about the lessons in this. One is to avoid stereotypes. Jesus, Jesus, want, he, he, he's putting <clears> this <throat> in their face. He wanted them to know that he oh, in his story was a Samaritan. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have reversed the characters, but he's trying to shake loose some prejudices. Isn't it ironic it is. that in John chapter 8 and verse 48, mm-hmm. the Jews say to Jesus do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? So they call him a Samaritan, which just shows you what they thought about the Samaritans.
3: Can you explain a little more about the <coughs> Samaritans and why they were so... Yes, I can. Okay.
1: Yeah, so the Samaritan, <coughs> when the Israel and Judah went into captivity, The Assyrians took Israel into captivity and they repopulated the land with people taken from other places. (coughs) So, and then, and then the people from Judah came back years later and there were these Samaritans living there. Samaritan comes from the the Samaria, the capital city of of Israel. But this was at best a mixed group. You know, there was probably some Jewish blood and some of everybody. And they kind of worshipped the God of the Bible, but not totally. So they, they for example, instead of Jerusalem being their holy place, uh, Mount Gerizim was their holy mountain, and things like that. And so yeah. it's kind of like people turn more against a half-breed or against a semi-traitor than they do against somebody who's just an enemy. You know, they were kind of considered to be, you know, worse than the pagans, because they were kind of corrupting <coughs> the Jewish race, and so they just had a really strong prejudice against the Samaritans. That makes
3: sense. So it wouldn't be a terrible comparison for us, like you said, if it was an Islamic fundamentalist, sort of a racial and religious issue. Exactly. Okay. Exactly
1: <laughs> what it was. So they were, they were just very, you know, disdainful Samaritans. Samaria, the the territory, was right in between Judea and Galilee.
2: Mm-hmm. So the
1: natural way Jews would go from Judea to Galilee and back, and back, and you could go for it could go about three days if you went straight through Samaria. Most of the the Jews would cross the Jordan River, go up through Perea, and cross back and make the three day journey a seven day journey just so they had didn't have to go through Samaria. <laughs> you know, they're <laughs> hated. Uh, People enough, you know, be like, uh, you know, hating some state, you know, and uh, <laughs> you know, going to going to Missouri and avoiding Illinois while you're doing it, or something, <laughs> you know, that would uh, not be uh, very easy to do, but uh, you right. could do it if you really hated Illinois that bad. <laughs> uh, so that's right. kind of the idea. Um, so yeah, I mean, we need to think about our attitude toward, you know, stereotype peoples. I mean, you see a lot of prejudice. And, you know, against a lot of people. I mean, there's prejudice against all kinds of people and situations, depending on who you are. But as far as ethnic, I think for us, Hispanics and African Americans are the ones that get the most ethnic prejudice. And then we can be prejudiced against, you know, people of different ages, of different, you know, social (laughs) classes and so forth. And the fact is, Jesus didn't care what nationality. You know, anybody from any nationality can serve the Lord, and Jesus died for all of them. So that's one lesson. Another lesson is we must do what we know. You know, knowing our religion doesn't replace doing it. You're a neighbor not because you know that's a commandment, but because you help your neighbor. And you think about the challenges in loving your neighbor. Sometimes inconvenient, sometimes dangerous. You know, I mean, who knows if those robbers were still lurking, lurking behind some rock waiting to (laughs) assault the guy who tried to help the fellow, you know, so he's taken his life in his own hands. Obviously, it's a dangerous area. And, uh, you know, he doesn't really know. I mean, for all we know, the guy who got beat up was just an absolute Mm -hmm. scoundrel. But if your neighbor's house is on fire, or if anybody's house is on fire, you don't him to recite the creed before you help him out of the house.
2: He didn't know. I don't care what he
1: is, or who he was, or how bad or good he was. He's about to die. He needs somebody to take care of him. That's the attitude Jesus wants us to have. You know, maybe we would think, maybe he just deserved it. Well, thinking, well, maybe he deserved is an awful attitude for sinful people to have. If God gave us what we deserve, where would we be? And then think of this. This is my last, well, second to last point. I'll let you guys talk. But this is a parable. So I think the primary application of this is spiritual. We need, you, this is not first off a parable to help injured travelers. Now, should we help injured travelers? Well, of course. But that's not the first lesson here. I think the primary lesson is helping people who are spiritually beaten up, and half dead, Mm. and need the Lord. And we need to do what the Samaritan did, have compassion on them, do what we can Mm. with what we have. The Samaritan wasn't a doctor. He didn't have a fully staffed hospital, you know, medical van or something like that, but he had some oil and some wine, and, you know, he had a donkey, and he had, you know, some denarius, and he did what he could with what he had, Mm. and he took risks. When it comes to reaching others with the gospel, we need to have compassion with those who are beat up and half dead. We need to do what we can and take risks. So, do we need to be doing this with our neighbors in a spiritual sense? And then think about this. You know who our good Samaritan was, right? It's Jesus. We I mean, look where we were and look what Jesus sacrificed to restore us to our spiritual health. We need to be... Jesus to other people. I said a lot there, probably more than I should have before giving you a chance to talk, but your turn.
3: I think it's kind of funny. The guy asks who is my neighbor, as in expecting Jesus to point out this person, this person, this person, but Jesus says "Like you are the neighbor, which automatically makes everyone else your neighbor. So yeah. it flips it.
1: He almost changes it from a noun to a verb. You need to neighbor people.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Is he thinking
2: of Mr. Rogers? I my haven't heard that before, have you?
1: <laughs> Probably I'm not. Sure he, oh, I'm sure
2: he has. a very normal thing to
1: think. <laughs> I'm afraid she takes after her
2: mother. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> Other thoughts, comments, questions?
0: This guy was willing to sacrifice in a lot of ways. Like, this took him a lot of time and convenience um, and money and resources. Um, I think sometimes we, you know, just want to write a check and, you know, be done with it. Um, But sometimes people need our time and our attention. Um, Or vice versa. Like, you know, maybe we're... penny finchers and know willing to help in other ways (coughs) really there's lots of ways to serve people
1: being a good Samaritan can be kind of messy and kind of you know, inconvenient that's the thing, I mean caring about somebody I mean, I assume the good Samaritan was going somewhere or he probably wouldn't have been on that road you know, I mean I just tend to overlook people not look at people, not think of them as being you know, people are kind of annoying. You know? I mean it's kinda of like, well, I just wish everybody would go away, you know. And that's the way Jesus was. Jesus looked at the crowd as a sheep without a shepherd, and he, he had compassion on them. And I mean, I suppose this guy probably looked kind of pathetic. You know, kind of <laughs> well, I mean, I don't like to see blood. You know? I mean, kinda of makes you faint. You know, and you think about there are a lot of people that are pretty pathetic. I mean, even morally, spiritually, in their life, you know, they're kind of down. And you can look at them and tell, you know, wow, you're a mess. You listen to them a little bit and you life your life's a wreck. And we can look at them and think, wow, you know, I don't want anything to do with you. Or we can look at them and think, man, you need the Lord so bad. You know, you don't realize how, how beat up and half dead you are. <laughs> and we can try to help them. Other thoughts?
0: What was the equivalent story in Chronicles to this? There's a similar, it had Jericho and wine and oil and the Samaritan, and I can't remember now.
1: You know, it does vaguely ring a bell. Why is that not coming to me at all? What did the Samaritans do, or Jericho? Somehow, it was
0: a group of people or something that they... I
1: can't remember. Wow, that that does slightly ring a bell. That's not something with Elisha, is it? That wouldn't be 2nd would you, know, you sure it's 2nd Chronicles? Uh, first or
2: second? No. Well, 1st
3: or 2nd No. I don't think it's 1st They went in Yeah, They were not trying to find Samaria, and he led him there. But that wasn't... I don't know. Where he made him blind, you know? Oh, yeah, but that's...
1: No, addition in our
0: <coughs> class, remember, I we read out, it was the story of the Good Samaritan. Was we went through it. I in that class?
1: <clears throat> should have been.
3: I might have been gone that week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah, that just sounds that sounds kind of familiar, did but I'm sorry, I'm at at not, there is it's no
0: not not coming to it of Yeah,
1: that that sounds like there is. I think there was something like that but for whatever reason. I <coughs> was it know. later? Yeah.
3: Later on. Uh, later
1: on. Probably not real early. on would say. Mm. Uh, Second Chronicles
3: twenty-eight fifteen, maybe. <laughs> That was right. very specific. <laughs> I googled it. <laughs> what you googled it? You Google Good Samaritan. I said Chronicles Good Samaritan parallel. Okay. It's just one verse, so.
0: Oh yeah, it was the captives. Okay.
1: Yes. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Good point.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's when they. What? What was it? They instead of killing them, they. They clothed them and sent them back. Right. Yeah. Give them, them oil and put them on donkeys. Yeah. Brought <laughs> them to Jericho. And yeah,
1: brought them to Jericho. Yeah, <laughs> good, good point. Thank you for that. I should write that in my notes. But i will not understand. pen, but I better remember that next time I teach. Like yeah, I knew. I thought you you got something there, but man, I couldn't come up with that. <clears throat> I'm glad you did. Thank you. Anything else I haven't thought about? that, <clears throat>
0: See in the old testament. So now you know Jesus got it. (laughs) 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 Well, maybe
1: (laughs) there's an incredible number of parallels all over the place. Yeah. Just an incredible number. That's cool. That's good good thought. Other thoughts? All right, back to uh, Luke ten then, and I believe this next event—this is not a parable; this really happened—but that I think this illustrates what it really means to love <coughs> God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So, thirty-eight to forty-two.
0: Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, and she had a sister named <coughs> Mary moreover was listening to the Lord's words, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone, and tell her to help me? But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one, for Mary has chosen a good part which shall not be taken away from her.
1: So Jesus uh, had a close relationship with this family, Mary, Martha, and they had a brother whose name was Lazarus. Lazarus. This is the same Mary and Martha and Lazarus? I mean, Lazarus doesn't come into this story, but um, and uh, he's, he's there in their home. And uh, there's a lot of good things to say about Martha. Um, what do you see good right off the bat about Martha?
0: Well, I'm yeah.
1: She, the home <coughs> may have belonged to Mark. And when it says welcomed him into her home, that may have been the idea. She may have been the one who actually owned it. But, you know, she was, she was glad to have Jesus. Now, are you always eager to have somebody into your home? I mean, it's not always convenient. You know... I'm guessing that if she's got Jesus, she's probably got the twelve. <laughs> you know, you kind of get an entourage when you get Jesus, uh, maybe more than that. So, I mean, that's a lot of extra work and trouble. You know, people tracking mud in, and you know, whatever. And, you know, eating from you, and all that. And uh, and we'll we'll see some more stuff about Martha in a minute. But I think that speaks well of her initially. And and Mary, what was Mary doing? Listen. Yeah, she was just sitting there at his feet listening to him. You know, you can imagine that would have been cool just to hear Jesus, hear him teach. You know, there were probably some other things to do. We'll see that in a moment. But Mary just really valued being able to be taught by Jesus so she was sitting there listening. Well, while Mary's sitting there doing that, what is Martha doing? Working. Which probably (laughs) means... Cooking and cleaning and all of that. And how is she starting to feel?
3: Reasonable.
2: Yeah.
1: Can you see the smoke coming out of her ears? You know, I mean, I can just imagine that, you know, she had thrown some dirty looks in Mary's direction. I wonder if she banged on a few kitchen utensils <laughs> and uh, things like that. You know, trying to uh, maybe uh, let it be known that she need a little help over here.
2: <laughs>
1: and what made it worse for Martha? Not just the work. Wanted she treated. wanted it to. She would have listened to Jesus. She would have loved to sit at Jesus' feet, but she, she got they got work to do. They can't do that. They got they got to get a good meal on the table. This is Jesus, you know. But I think she's resentful because not just because she had to do work, but because she didn't get to do what Mary was doing. Can you see how Martha would feel? You know, would we ever feel that way? You know, I can see that. Wow. And so, she finally just kind of explodes. And, uh, you know, she probably got her blood pretty well boiling. And and she complains to Jesus. You know, and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. You know, I mean, I can imagine she's practically in tears by the time she says this. You know, and, man, I mean, it's just, man, this is so hard. And Jesus, can he, can, wonder what she thought Jesus was gonna do.
2: <laughs> Mary, well,
1: you need to share the load with your sister. You, need, you know, you need to, you need to help. I mean, that's not fair for your poor sister that she has to do all this work by herself. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Well, that's interesting. That's not what we think Jesus would say. So, he really analyzes Martha. She's worried and distracted about so many things. I mean, for Martha, things need to be right. You know, she's burdened with all these preparations. You know, that meal needs to be good. You know, she's got, kind of got the gift of hospitality and she ex- intends to excel at it. Have you ever felt just overwhelmed and pressured because you feel like you've got to be excellent at so many different things? Don't we all feel that sometimes? And 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 you know, I've gotta I've gotta, you know, clean house well, I've gotta cook well, I've gotta take care of the kids well, I've gotta do my job well, I've got to treat my husband well, I've got to help in the neighborhood well, I've gotta help in the school well. I've got to, you know, and and you know, so and we just go on and on, you know. Or if you're a guy, you know, you've got similar competing things that you know. And and do you ever just feel like you're about to explode because you can't get them all done? Well, you can you see what he's saying? You're worried and bothered about so many things. You've got so high a standards in so many areas. That you're just pulled apart. You can't be everything you want to be in everything. And so, you know, she was the kind of person that everything had to be just right for her and it ate at her. Oh. And she didn't know how to let some things go because if she did, they wouldn't be done to her satisfaction. Now, you know, it's pretty hard to just be worried and bothered about one thing. When you're worried and bothered about many things, whoa. That's pressure. <clears throat> and I think we can see ourselves in birth A lot. He says only one thing is necessary. <coughs> Mary's chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. So there may have been a meal to prepare, a house to clean or whatever, Mary was sitting and listening to Jesus. She valued that more than other things. That was a higher priority. She chose the good part. We have to make a choice. Has it ever dawned on us that we are not supermen and we cannot do everything well. Eventually, I don't care if you manage not to sleep, not to eat, or not to take a bath. Eventually, the 24 hours in the day runs out. You cannot do everything. You will make choices. Now, sometimes we make choices by default. Often, We make choices that aren't the wisest. And what Mary chose was the better choice. Sitting there listening to Jesus was the best thing she could be doing. I don't care what happened to the house or the food. What do we choose? Often, you know what we choose? The urgent over the important. We choose what has to be done today or it can't get done over the things that are really a higher priority. But that could be done tomorrow or the next day. Which usually leaves the things of God on the shelf because you could always do mm-hmm. that later, right? Most of the time anyway. Or sometimes we choose the things that we or other people can see over the things that can't be seen. And again, that's not a very good uh you know, way to do it. We become overcommitted. And so we have to make the choice. So think about this. Have you ever heard anybody say whatever you choose to do? You need to do your best. Mm-hmm. If you're in school, you need to get the best grades you can. Now, granted, <coughs> you may not have the IQ that Mr. Genius has. So the best you can do may not be all A's, but you need to get the best grades you can get. If you're doing work, you need to do the best job at it you can do. If you're work if you're in sport, you know you not you may not be as naturally talented as the next guy. But you need to do the best you can do at that sport. And so forth and so on. We fall into this myth that whatever you do, do. You need to do your best. Is that true? Some things aren't worth your best.
2: <laughs>
1: That's just the way it is. You know, doing your best at everything means you're not giving, you're not choosing the better part of um, you know, giving first-rate effort mm. to second-rate causes is not wise. Well, why would you do that? You know, giving our best to the best choices, yes, and giving relatively less as we go down the line. Mm. Some things aren't worth doing very well at all. They may wor- be worth giving it a lick and a promise. Mm-hmm. But that may be all they're really worth. So making choices. Mary loves really loving with everything you've got. I think Martha learned a good lesson. I think this is extremely practical. We could talk a long time. I did, so what do you want to say?
3: <coughs> I guess I struggle with how to practically apply that always. Like, does that mean you should be reading your Bible instead of cooking supper? Like, that's the literal example it sounds like, but... Didn't they need food to eat, and like you seem to be applying it to doing your best. It doesn't explicitly say that that was Martha's problem, but
1: she was worried and bothered about me,
3: right?
1: Distracted. <coughs> so I
3: don't
1: know. Well, if the choice is, do you read your Bible today or cook supper today, then reading the Bible would be more important than cooking the supper. Now. Is it possible that we can choose the better part and still do some other things? Yes, it is. God never asked us to be in a 24 7 Bible reading program. You know, that's, that's, and and He did ask us to be a wife and mother, or a husband and father, or whatever. So we've got responsibilities in various areas. But, you know, we have to keep the priorities straight. So sometimes doing the making the best choice may mean <clears throat> my wheel, meal may not be that great my house may not be that clean my grades may not be that high my performance evaluation at work may not be that tremendous or whatever you know I mean <clears throat> we prioritize we all do that right something takes first place it needs to be a okay, little yes. should, should we do other things absolutely okay, okay, nice. but but we shouldn't make them the top priority. Mm-hmm. The top priority is God, and we do these other things because God wants us to. So there's not just a rule right. that I'm going to be able to do. <laughs> but you definitely see the Martha complex in a lot of people, in all of us sometimes. Other thoughts are coming. So that can
3: be applied in... Like, there's a lot of comparisons and choices where there's going to be a priority. Like, even if it's not just reading your Bible, but like taking your time to do something with your kid because they need some attention versus working really hard on supper, you know? So I think it comes down to that in a lot of areas. It
1: does. And the people who feel like everything has to be perfect are the people who struggle the most. You know, because then you always are driven by this compulsion. And so if your kid needs something, you're frustrated with them because it's keeping you from doing what you think you must do to have everything else perfect. There's a lot of practical lessons in that. And, you know, there's some good in the idea you ought to excel and do well. That's not an all-stupid idea. But but what we suffer from is a lack of, you know, balance in that to where we end up putting too high a priority on excellence and things that really aren't worth doing excellently. You know, so we have to prioritize. That's the point. Choose the good part. So, so there's good, best, better, you know, whatever. So we have to decide, we have to analyze, okay, what deserves my, my greatest focus? What need, what, 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 what's my priority? We, we do that, don't we? I mean, you ever had a really busy day? How many of your really busy days did you just decide to dispense with eating, with showering, you know, things like that? You were really, 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 really busy. Maybe you decide to dispense with it for a day, but you didn't go two, three, four, five, six days without that. Why not? Because we consider some of those things just necessary self-maintenance that we can't go without. You know, even though I'm busy. And maybe we did it a little quicker that day. And maybe we grabbed some and ate it on the road, but we, <laughs> I gotta eat. You know? And so, so it's, it's appropriate for us to think about that in a spiritual sense and make sure the Lord gets our primary love. Other thoughts? All right. Uh, We come into a section where I call it Jesus' interactions. And when we first see his interactions